you community. It is good to be with you this morning. We call these services worship services and I just feel like I've been worshiping with you all up into this moment. Worshiping through singing, through swaying, right? Through some bopping, Daniel I saw you, right? Through clapping, through listening to one another, through celebrating, through prophetically educating one another. Um, even as I was just singing that last, last song, I just can't help but I was just envisioning us singing as a congregation that song, the Lord bless you and keep you to our neighbors, and in particular, our Hispanic or Latino, Latina, Latinx neighbors. And I was just seeing that, and I just, I can't help but worship inspires us, right? It leads us and it moves us to live a life of worship. And so Holy Spirit, may you keep stirring within us May you keep stirring within us. Uh, my name is Ruth Lynn Nakai, and I am um, on staff here at New Community Covenant Church, Logan Square. And we as a church are asking ourselves this question this season of what does it mean to be a deeply formed community? What does it look like to be deeply rooted in a world that lives on the surface? What does it mean to have a root system that is strong enough to hold us up protect us from being torn down by the diversity of life, empowering us to live into the flourishing we were all designed for. For this upcoming year, we are following the framework found in Rich Viotis' um, book, The Deeply Foreign Life. And for the next month or so, we will be integrating the first value from the book, life, book in our life together, the value of contemplative rhythms. You're probably wondering what that means, and I'll explain more of that phrase, but first I'd like to begin by asking us a question. Why do you rest? Like, seriously, why do you rest? If you were to complete that sen the following sentence, how would you complete it? I rest because. I actually asked a handful of people this past week to help me um, and how they would answer it. I'm wondering how many of us would answer it similarly. I rest because. Maybe you rest because it's a matter of need. <laughs> I rest because I have to. I'm tired. <laughs> it keeps me sane, right? I have to. It's a need thing. Perhaps you uh, rest because it's a matter of principle or Christian principle even. I rest because God rested. Doing so is an act of worship, and I, I like this one. I've been told it's good for me. <laughs> okay, maybe not need, maybe, or maybe it's not just need or principle, but maybe it's a matter of productivity, right? Accepting the reality that in order for you to be productive, you have to rest. So I rest because I can work more effectively. I rest because it helps me love others. It helps me to be faithful. Or maybe the reason you rest is simply because it's joyful, I rest because I feel good and I meet God in rest. Why do you rest? I really want us to get really introspective this morning because I don't think this morning's sermon will do us much good if we talk about it through a theoretical place. I want you to locate yourself in our conversation. How would you describe your relationship with rest? And when I say rest, I'm not talking about just sleep, okay, that's important. But I'm talking about the deep body, mind, soul kind of rest. They say a picture speaks a thousand words, so I'm gonna use some pictures to help us locate ourselves. 
How would you describe your relationship with rest? Is your relationship with rest deeply connected like that of old dance partners that have lived through the ebb and flow of life? And now your relationship isn't perfect, but rest is a deeply integrated part of your life. It's part of you. It's part of your doing, your breathing, your whole being. Or is your relationship like that of acquaintances or work colleagues, right? You've worked side by side, you've shared pleasant conversation and interaction together, and overall your relationship is pleasant. But the relationship also hasn't gone beyond the surface. Or maybe your relationship is just straight up awkward. <laughs> maybe for you, rest belongs in your life, but it feels forced. You make it a point to rest, but when you find yourself in the moments of quiet or silence, you don't quite know how to slow down and relax. You don't quite know what to do with yourself. Or perhaps your relationship with rest is like your relationship with emergency room. Rest is something you access in times of crisis and emergency, and so your relationship with rest is essentially, I rest when I absolutely have to. Or maybe your relationship with rest is just complicated. Perhaps you have a history of prioritizing rest, but you also find yourself constantly failing, falling back into old habits, falling asleep when you're supposed to be praying, going back on promises that you've made to God and to yourself. And this pattern has caused a strain or distance over time. Last but not least, Maybe your relationship with rest right now feels like a door without a key. It's something you desperately want and need, but you can't have. Perhaps you're feeling depressed or overextended, but you don't see things changing anytime soon. Or maybe you're working a job that's so demanding and there's just no way out right now. Maybe you're a caretaker and you're slammed with overwhelming needs every single day, but your options for this to be different are slim to none. Or maybe you're working multiple jobs just to pay the bills, and you're envious of others because you have to overwork just to live. What is your relationship with rest? Whatever your relationship is, our relationship with rest can offer us some insight into how we might be relating to God. For example, if, if you or I are feeling some distance between ourselves and rest, maybe we're experiencing the same with God. If we are feeling that our relationship with rest is complicated or complex, maybe there are complex layers in our relationship with God that need to be explored. What is your relationship with rest? And how is your relationship with God? I want to direct our attention to scripture now and explore how God related to rest. I'm curious how God would complete the sentence, I rested because. So turn with me in your, in your Bible to Genesis 1. We're going to read a good chunk of it. Genesis 1 to chapter 2 verse 3. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and empty, and the darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. Then he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night, and evening passed and morning came, marking the first day. 
Then God said, let there be a space between the waters to separate the waters of the heavens from the waters of the earth, and that is what happened. God made this space to separate the waters of the earth from the waters of the heavens, and God called that space sky. And evening passed and morning came, marking the second day. Then God said, let the waters beneath the sky flow together into one place so dry ground may appear, and that is what happened. God called the dry ground land and the waters seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land sprout with vegetation, every sort of seed-bearing plant and trees that grow seed-bearing fruit. These seeds will then produce the kinds of plants and trees from which they came, and that is what happened. The land produced vegetation, all sorts of seed-bearing plants and trees with seed-bearing fruit, Their seeds produced plants and trees of the same kind, and God saw that it was good. And evening passed, and morning came, marking the third day. Then God said, let lights appear in the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them be signs to mark seasons, days, and years. Let these lights in the sky shine down on the earth, and that is what happened. God made two great lights, the larger one to govern the day and the smaller one to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set these lights in the sky to light the earth, to govern the day and night, to separate the light from the darkness, and God saw that it was good. And evening passed and morning came, marking the fourth day. Then God said, let the waters swarm with fish and other life. Let the skies be filled with birds of every uh, kind. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that scurries and swarms in the water and every sort of bird, each producing offspring of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God blessed them, saying, be fruitful and multiply. Let the fish fill the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. And evening passed and morning came, marking the fifth day. Then God said, let the earth produce every sort of animal, each producing offspring of the same kind, livestock, small animals that scurry along the ground and wild animals. And that is what happened. God made all sorts of wild animals, livestock, and small animals, each able to produce offspring of the same kind, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Then God said, look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant through the earth and all the fruit of your uh, trees for your food. And I have given every plant as food for all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. Everything that has life. And that is what happened. Then God looked over all he had made and saw that it was very good. And evening passed and morning came, marking the sixth day. So the creation of the heavens and the earth in them was completed. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation.
Before I speak to a couple of the verses, particularly at the end of what I just read, I need to make a confession. And I have this feeling I'm not the only one that needs to make this confession. The confession is this. For many years, I have read this story of creation by relating it with my relationship with rest. I have understood these verses through my cultural lens of rest. Why do I say this? It's because every time I've come to that part that talks about the seventh day, which we call the Sabbath, I've interpreted the story to say that God rested because of his hard and extensive work. I mean, it took me a long time to read all that, right? It made complete sense to me. Creation was complete, so God rested. See, to me, hard work goes hand in hand with rest. Or at least that's what I was taught or caught. What I learned growing up was rest was a reward for work. If I worked really hard, then my reward was that I got to take a break. <laughs> Anyone else? So what's that saying? How's it go? Like work hard, play hard, right? So you, don't, you can't expect to play hard if you don't work hard, right? <laughs> and so it, that was my cultural lens that through that cultural lens, I understood rest. After God's work was complete, God rested because he earned it. I was even reading the notes in one of my study Bibles, and it said this, our times of rest refresh us for times of service. And I don't think that statement is wrong. In fact, I think it's true, and it's good. Our ability to be fruitful is contingent upon times of rest and restoration, and resting for that purpose is a good thing. But I think you and I are missing something really important if all we do is dwindle the purpose of rest down to being refreshed for more service. If the main reason I believed I rest from work is so that I can do more work, <laughs> which will in turn allow me to earn more rest, then I might be missing something really important. Let's go back to the Genesis passage again, just the last couple of verses, and look at those verses about resting, God resting again. But let's look specifically also, including those two verses before it. It reads, then God looked over all he had made and he saw that it was very good. An evening passed and morning came, marking the sixth day. So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all his work. Did you catch that first verse? Let me read it again. Then God looked over all he had made and he saw that it was very good. I love the voice version because it captures something really important. It says, then God surveyed everything he had made, savoring its beauty and appreciating its goodness. What if in all my years of reading and listening to this story, I had noticed not just the completion of God's work, but also the contemplation of God's good work? Yes. God completed creation, and that was good. And God contemplated creation, and that was good. Picture this with me. God looking over all that God had made, savoring its beauty and appreciating its goodness. 
That's contemplation. Contemplation means looking thoughtfully at something for a long time. And contemplation is where we get that word contemplative. See, God reserved the whole day for contemplating God's good work. And that is the heart of Sabbath or deep abiding rest. I wonder what it would look like if our motivation for rest wasn't just exhaustion or desperation or obligation or an effort to be even more fruitful, but that instead our motivation for rest was delight, to delight in God's good work in creation. I think most of us connect with God in nature because in nature we discover some really profound truths that sometimes we miss in the the ordinary hustle bustle of our ordinary lives. I'll give you an example. Have you ever noticed when you stand up really close to a flower or tree, each petal or leaf typically has a slight aesthetic flaw, if you will? My husband Kenny is uh, studied biology in college, and so sometimes he'll mention things that I've never considered before about nature. One time he mentioned this in passing, but he's mentioned that it's very rare to find aesthetic perfection in nature. Most things have a minor aesthetic flaw, if you will. For example, it's very rare to come across an aesthetically flawless leaf. A perfectly round apple, a flower with totally perfect petals. But you know what we call this? This wide collection of perfectly imperfect things? We call it creation and we name it beautiful. We look out into the mountain range, the ocean, the garden of flowers, and the forest, and we aren't tripped up by all the aesthetic flaws in each individual piece. Rather, we are captivated by wonder because creation is so beautiful. I notice when I spend time contemplating God's goodness, meaning spending time, extending time pondering God's goodness, right? It's then when I'm able to with integrity, look at others and see their goodness. I'm able to look at my friends, my family, neighbors, my enemies, the collection of perfectly imperfect individuals and call them good and beautiful. I notice when I've been paying attention to God's goodness and rehearsing the stories of God's faithfulness, I am able to gaze at myself, a series of imperfectly perfect parts, and call myself good and beautiful. When I am in sync with God, I am able to join God in seeing and declaring over all creation, this is very good. Do you regularly contemplate God's good work? And if so, how do you do it? There are so many ways we can contemplate God. And although the term contemplative practices is more familiar in some circles than others, we remember that the contemplative practices are not new. In fact, David contemplated God through prayer, meditation, and scripture. And there's a whole book in the Bible to show for it. I mean, let's look at Psalm 27.4. It says, one thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. There are many examples in the scriptures of how our spiritual ancestors practiced contemplation, Jesus included. 
And so as a way of making these sort of practices accessible to us, I just want to highlight five common contemplative practices, especially for those of us who are starting or continuing a journey in delighting in God. They are silence, stillness, solitude, Sabbath, slow reading of scripture. Now, note that I'm not going to talk very long about each of these and that there will be an opportunity to go deeper in our learning experience of these, especially in our deeply formed groups. We even have a solitude retreat coming up, right, that will intentionally gauge those those first four practices. And even in our midweek large group meetings, we will be explicitly going through the practice of reading scripture slowly. But for now, I want to offer a short definition for each of them. Silence. Silence is the practice of abstaining from speaking and quieting the outside and inner voices in our lives. This practice is particularly important for those of us, myself included, that are prone to be very busy, have very busy thought lives. Or we are prone to consume social media and news like we consume food when we're starving. Silence is the practice of quieting the noise in our life. Stillness. Stillness is the practice of ceasing from activity. This practice is an intentional and radical commitment to trusting and waiting upon God. And this practice is particularly important for those of us that are busy bodies and action-oriented leaders. Stillness, the practice of ceasing from activity. Solitude. Solitude is the practice of being alone with self and with God. This practice is particularly important for those of who are prone to orienting ourselves around the needs and wants of others. This practice is a commitment to trusting that God will take care of those we love, even in our absence. Right? Solitude, the practice of being alone with self and God. Sabbath. Sabbath is the practice of containing work and worry in order to rest and delight in God's good, God and God's good gifts. This practice is particularly important for those of us who aren't accustomed to putting away those to-do lists and responsibilities for a designated period of time. Sabbath, containing work and worry for the purpose of delight in God. Slow reading of scripture. The slow reading of scripture is a practice of experiencing scripture through meditation, contemplation, and prayer. It's not the quick reading of scripture, but it's a prayerful listening to the living word that is speaking to us through the text. This practice is particularly important for those of us who are not necessarily accustomed to reading the Bible regularly or those of us who mostly approach the Bible through a place of theological study and discussion. So I just want to acknowledge these practices that I just named, right? What is it? Silence, silence, stillness, solitude, Sabbath, slow reading of scripture. I want to acknowledge that these kind of practices and other practices look different in each of our particular contexts. For example, Practicing Sabbath might look differently for a parent or a business owner or even a restaurant worker. We need to consider our particular context and it's important to discuss those in community. I also just want to acknowledge that the barrier to entry for some of us is higher than others. For example, for some of us to attend that solitude retreat, it means foregoing a day's worth of pay, paying for childcare, and finding a ride. And that may require us to express our needs and invite our community to participate in our pursuit of rest. Let's remember that uh, contemplating God is a solitary act, but it doesn't have to be a solitary experience. We need one another 
to see God and experience the kind of rest our soul needs. As we close out today's service, I want to lead you through a contemplative prayer exercise that recently meant a lot to me. And I want to end this way because my conviction today was to leave some time and space for us to encounter God together. And so if you are able, I'd like to invite you to close your eyes so that you can give your full attention to this exercise. And if during this exercise you find yourself getting distracted, kindly redirect your attention to God, picturing a God whose patience knows no bounds. And as you sit where you're at, I want to just invite you, whether you're in person or virtually, to settle in, take several slow and deep breaths. And as you pay attention to your breath coming through your body, I want you to imagine yourself as a door. What type of door most symbolizes yourself? Are you an opaque door that no one can see inside? Or are you a transparent door where the light shines through easily? Are you a thin glass door that needs to be carefully open and shut because too much pressure or stress just the door might shatter? Or are you a revolving door, things going in and out all the time? Or are you a door that has a sign that reads something like, do not disturb or enter at your own risk? Or are you the old weathered door whose worn surfaces speak of the wear and tear of the elements outdoors? What type of door most symbolizes yourself? I want you to think about that. After you decide what kind of door symbolizes yourself, I want you to take some time and pay deep attention to that door. And what I mean is take notice of how it looks. Notice the details on it. Notice how it smells even. You might even want to consider what's behind this door. Now, imagine your creator God coming to this door, this door that God created. How is God looking at this door? 
What is God's body language? Is God saying anything? Is there anything that this door is needing to hear? I want you to take a few moments and pay attention to that God standing at the door. Now imagine God reaching out to enter through this door, maybe to the handle. What feelings come up for you? Pay attention to those feelings. And now imagine with me, God saying to this door, will you trust me? And as you consider that invitation to trust, I invite you to express your response through a bodily response before God. Perhaps as you hear that question, will you trust me? You feel led to stand or kneel or to open up your arms as a posture of openness. Whatever you feel led to do, and I'll give you some time for this, respond to God. Dialogue with God. Listen to God about this invitation. Jesus says in Matthew 11, through the message version, it says, Jesus says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Beloved child, will you trust me? <laughs> 